Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, and we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and uh, tonight we find ourselves in chapter 12, and, you know, it's interesting because the, the first, we're going to go through about the first 11 verses of this chapter uh, this week, and then we'll go through the rest of it next week, verses 12 through 31, but uh, the first 11 verses are actually pretty interesting verses in the sense that, I, you know, a lot of people have questions about it, and I've even been asked a lot of questions about uh, this subject, and the subject is about spiritual gifts, and you've, if you notice there in verse 1, Paul introduces the idea of spiritual gifts. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant, and a lot of times people don't understand the spiritual gifts, or um, they're, they, they don't understand, you know, what the Bible teaches about it, or they get a false kind of idea because of the charismatic and Pentecostal movement and how they use that. So tonight, I want to just kind of go through this, and we're going to look at a lot of passages and explain to you this idea of spiritual gifts and what the Bible teaches about it and what we can learn from it. And uh, like we saw there, Paul introduced uh, this idea of spiritual gifts there in verse 1. And before we get into the spiritual gifts, I do want to deal with verses 2 and 3. He says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. And you know that as, it, as we've been studying First Corinthians, that he's been talking about the idols and the different ways that they deal with idols. Verse 3, the Bible says, Wherefore I give you to, to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now keep your place there in First Corinthians 12. That's what we're going to uh, be for tonight. But go with me to the book of Mark, just real quickly. Uh, At the beginning of the Bible, you got Matthew, and then you got the book of Mark, Mark chapter number three. And uh, do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark there, because we're going to leave it, and we're going to come back to it. We're going to leave the book of Mark, but we're going to come back uh, to it here in a little bit. So make sure you can get back to Mark quickly. Mark chapter three, and this isn't about spiritual gifts, I just want to deal with it. Mark chapter three and verse 28 says this, Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the, unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Here the Bible talks to us about this thing of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. And if you go out soul winning, uh, you might have people ask you about this. And people often bring up the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. And, you know, people like to teach that you can lose your salvation if you blaspheme the Holy Ghost because, you know, he that the Bible says, he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness. And not too long ago, I actually preached an entire sermon on this subject, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But I just want you to understand a couple of things. First of all, those that are blaspheming the Holy Ghost in the Bible, it only happens, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's referenced several times in the Gospels, and it's the Pharisees doing it. So we need to understand that the people who are blaspheming the Holy Ghost are unsaved people and probably even reprobates. So we're not looking at individuals that were saved or that believed on Christ and then lost their opportunity to be saved. What we're looking at is individuals that were not saved, and they blaspheme the Holy Ghost. And basically, Jesus told them, you crossed the line. You know, and that sin will never be forgiven you. But what I want you to understand is that the Bible tells us there that they blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness. And people will often try to say like, well, if you're already saved and you do it, you know, will you lose your salvation? And and again, keep your place there in Mark because we're going to come back to it. But go back to 1 Corinthians 12 and look at verse 3. He says, wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God 
calleth Jesus a curse. And what you need to understand is that when they were blaspheming the Holy Ghost, that's basically what they were saying. Because they were saying about Jesus when he was performing miracles and healing people and doing the things that he was doing, they were saying, you're not doing this by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are doing it by Beelzebub. You're doing this by the power of the devil. And they were basically calling Jesus a curse. They were saying that he was filled with the devil, that he was not saved, that he, you know, that he was uh, um, you know, someone that was uh, unsaved in the sense that they were filled with the devil. And here the Bible tells us that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord. Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. And what I want you to understand is this, that we believe that salvation is by grace through faith and not of works. There's nothing that someone has to do in order to be saved. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to repent of your sins. But the Bible does teach that there are some things that a believer is not going to do, you know, and we can prove that from the Bible. I'm not going to preach that sermon, but you know, one of them is taking the mark of the beast. The Bible says that, you know, no believer will take the mark of the beast at the end times. Uh, And, you know, the dispensationalists teach that believers can take the mark of the beast. And, you know, just one of their crazy, this has nothing to do with anything, it's just just funny. Dispensationalists teach that if you take the mark of the beast, like, for example, if you take it in your forehead, and then you, you, you know, you want to get saved after that, then you have to cut your head off you know, to be saved, which doesn't really make sense because when you cut your head off, I don't think you can believe on Christ. But um, that's the kind of crazy stuff that they teach. But what, the point that I'm making is this. There are certain things that believers will not do, and one of them is that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse. So no one who's saved is going to blaspheme the Holy Ghost. You know, people want to ask these questions. You know, what if you stop believing? I, I, you know, my opinion is no one that's saved is ever going to stop believing. Because why, why would you stop believing? Now look, and, and people who teach these things, they teach these things as they're teaching a false gospel. Because if I believe that salvation was dependent on me repenting of my sins, well, I might stop doing that. If I believe that my salvation was dependent on me living a good life, then I may stop doing that. But if I believe that my salvation is a free gift that I didn't earn, I could never lose, why would I stop believing that? I mean, if anything, the more backslidden I got, the more I'd hold on to that sake, you know, to that hope. That salvation is not of work. So it's just silly to go down these theoretical uh, you know, lines anyway. But go, look at verse 4 there. And again, I'm not preaching about that, but it was just in the passage, so I wanted to deal with it. I want you to notice that in verses 4, 5, and 6 of 1 Corinthians 12, he basically gives us an outline of the chapter. He says, now... There are diversities of gifts. Now remember in verse 1 he said, now concerning spiritual gifts. So he says there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now the gifts there that he's talking about, the gifts of the Spirit, we're talking about things that are like aptitudes or abilities. Things that the Holy Ghost gives you an ability to do that God is going to use. Then in verse 5 he says this, there are differences of administrations. Now administrations is not the same as gifts. The administrations are an office or a position. Notice what he says, but the same Lord. And then in verse 6, he says this, and there are diversities of operations. Now, operations is not the same as gifts, and it's not the same as administrations. An operation is how you do things, but the same God which worketh in all. And here's what I want you to understand. He basically outlines the chapter for us in verses 4, 5, and 6, because what he does is he, he says there are diversities of gifts, and he spends verses 1 through 11 of this chapter dealing with the diversities of gifts. Then he says there are differences of 
administration. He spends verses 12 through 16 talking about the differences of administration. And then he says there are diversities of operations. He spends verses 17 through 31 talking about the diversities of operations. So tonight we're just going to get to the diversities of gifts. Next time we meet on, on 1 Corinthians 12, we'll deal with the other two. But I just want you to notice that's why he does that because he's kind of outlining what he's about to explain and what he's about to teach. Now, let me say this, and we're going to jump into this idea of spiritual gifts. Uh, in fact, uh, yeah, you know, let me say this. Spiritual gifts, you know, you need to understand they're divided into two categories. There's basically what, what I refer to as the supernatural gifts or what's commonly referred to as the sign gifts. And then there's what I call the service gifts or the ministry gifts. There's two categories that, that they fall into. And they're not placed into those categories in Scripture. In Scripture, he just goes through and gives us a list of them. But what we're going to do just to help you understand is we're going to deal with the supernatural or the sign gifts first. And then we're going to deal with the service gifts or the ministry gifts uh, second just for you to be able to understand. So we're going to kind of go back and forth a little bit. But I want you to understand that's what we're going to be talking about. So let's talk about the supernatural gifts or what's often referred to as the sign gifts. And let's talk about, you know, what is the purpose of the supernatural or the sign gifts? Well, look look down at verse number 7, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. He says this, but the manifestation, I want you to notice that word manifestation. The word manifestation, or when something is manifest, it means to be clearly seen. It means that you make something, you know, to be, to appear. That's what manifest means. So the Bible says here, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. I want you to understand that the purpose of the supernatural or the sign gives is to manifest the Spirit of God, is to clearly show and to clearly see that God is working. It's the opposite of, you know, blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Because what did they say about Jesus? They said, you're doing this by the power of Beelzebub. But the Bible says that actually this is to manifest the working in the Spirit of God. Now, I want you to notice, uh, well, look at verse 8. He says, for one is given to, uh, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. We're going to come back to that verse because those are the ministry or the service gifts. But look at verse 9. He says, to another faith by the same Spirit. That's a ministry gift. To another, here we find the first of what we would call the supernatural or the sign gifts. He says, to another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. So I want you to notice the first of the supernatural gifts or the sign gifts would be the gifts of healing. Now keep your place there and go back with me to Mark, but go to Mark chapter number 2. Mark chapter number 2. And let's talk about the supernatural gifts or the sign gifts. What is the purpose of these gifts? Well, we already saw in verse 7 that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Paul already told us that the purpose of these gifts, the supernatural gifts, is to manifest the work of the Spirit. Let's see if that matches the rest of Scripture. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 5, we have a famous story of Jesus healing someone, right? Because he said that the gifts, one of the gifts that the Spirit gives to manifest itself is the gift of the healings. And of course, we know that Jesus was not the only one who healed, but let's look at Jesus healing somebody in the Gospels. Mark chapter 2, look at verse 5. The Bible says this, When Jesus saw their faith, 
He said unto the sick of the palsy, this is when they were bringing him down through the roof there, he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why doth this man, talking about Jesus, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? So when Jesus forgave sins, what the Pharisees uh, and, and what these people said in their hearts, they, said, they didn't say it out loud, they said in their hearts, you know, that Jesus was blaspheming because God is the only one that can forgive sins. Who can forgive sins but God only? Now, here's what you need to understand. They're right. God is the only one who can forgive sins. So when a Catholic priest, you know, says that he forgives your sins, he tells you to do, you know, uh, to do 10 Hail Marys or whatever, you know, and, uh, you know, do a couple of jumping jacks and, and, and read a couple of riddles or whatever, and then your sins are forgiven, that's blasphemous. Because it is only God that can forgive sins. When they said, who can forgive sins but God only, that was true. What they didn't understand is that they were looking at God. Because Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus was not just a man. So he had the power to forgive sins. Look at verse 8. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves. That right there shows the deity of Christ. The fact that he could see and hear, he could understand their thoughts. And by the way, you, you, you need to just know this. God knows your thoughts. God knows what you think. God knows what you believe. The Bible says that there's nothing hid from him. The Bible says there is neither any creature that is not manifest, for all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So God knows everything about you. God knows what you think. God knows your motives. God knows the reasons why you make certain decisions. You can tell people whatever you want, but you know who you cannot fool is God. Because God knows your heart. And here, they were talking about Jesus, and he understood it. He perceived it. Look at verse 8. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether, notice what he says, Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. So he says, Which one would be easier you know, by human standards, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven you? Or would it be easier for me to heal this man and tell him to arise, take up thy bed and walk? Look at verse 10. But notice these words. That ye may know. He's telling us there the purpose, the reason that he's going to heal this man. Why is he going to heal this man? That ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I said unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately arose, and took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. So according to Jesus, why did he heal this man? The Bible tells us there in verse 10 that he, de- that he healed them that ye may know. He did it that they may know that he was who he said he was. So I want you to notice the gift of healing, the purpose of that manifestation, is to, uh, the purpose of that, of that miracle is to manifest the fact, to clearly show and clearly see the fact that it is the Holy Spirit that is doing that work. Go, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and that's just an example, but that's every miracle. 
whether it was Elijah or Elisha, whether it was Peter or Paul, every miracle, every healing that was performed in the Bible was performed that the Spirit of God might be manifest, that they might be able to see that it is the Holy Spirit and God working with them. Look at verse 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. To another, here we find the second of the supernatural or sign miracles. To another, the working of miracles. All right? So he talked about the gifts of healing, and now he talks about the gifts of the working of miracles. Go to John uh, chapter number 2. If you kept your place there in Mark, from Mark, you got Luke, and then you got John. John chapter 2. And Jesus, of course, performed miracles. Other men performed miracles. What is the reason for the miracles. Well, we saw that the reason for the healings was that they would know, you know, that it was God who was doing the work, that it was God who was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. In John chapter 2, we see the reason for the miracles. Look at, look at John chapter 2 and verse 11. Now, the turning of water into wine was the first miracle that Jesus performed in his earthly ministry. In John 2, 11, the Bible says this, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. Talking about the fact that he turned water into wine. And he did not turn water into alcohol. All right? He turned water into wine. And that's a sermon for another day. But notice what he says. And manifested. You see that word manifested? What does it mean to manifest? To clearly show forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. So according to John chapter 2, why did Jesus perform that miracle of turning water into wine? That he might manifest forth his glory. To clearly show, to clearly see that it was him, you know, that is God, that has the Holy Spirit, that he's doing the work of God. Doesn't that go with 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 7, where it says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal? Look at John chapter 10 and verse 25. John chapter 10 and verse 25. Just slip a few pages over to John 10 and verse 25. The Bible says this, Jesus answered them, I told you and ye believed not. That's what he says. The works. Now when he's talking about the works, he's talking about the miracles, the healings that he's performed, all those great things. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. So notice he's saying, the works that I did, the miracles, the healings, all, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, all of those things bear witness of me. Why? Because the purpose of those gifts, the purpose of the healings was to manifest the power of God. Go to John chapter 14. Look at verse number 11. John chapter 14 and look at verse number 11. Notice what Jesus said. John 14 verse 11 says this, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me or else, notice what he says, Believe me for the very work's sake. So notice he said, I was doing these miracles. I was doing these healings. I was doing these things that you might believe on me. And in fact, he says, if you're not going to believe me, believe me for the very work's sake. Forgive me, you know, for, uh, believe me for the works that I have done. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we're dealing with these supernatural gifts, right? So you got the, the gifts of healing. You have the gifts of miracles. You also have in verse 10... Notice what it says, it says, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, and we're going to come back to the ones we're skipping, but look at the third supernatural gift, diverse kinds of tongues, all right? We're going to do number three and number four together. You've got diverse kinds of tongues, and you've got the interpretation of tongues. Now, let me explain a couple of things about the diverse kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 12, but go with me to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And here's what you need to understand. 
Tongues in the Bible, it just, the word means languages, all right? If you, if you allow the Bible to define itself, Acts chapter 2, use the word tongues, use the word language uh, interchangeably. So that's what the word means. It means languages. There are people even now that have a talent or an aptitude or an ability to be able to learn uh, language, you know, maybe faster or they just have an aptitude for it. Same with music. Uh, you know, some of these kids that are playing music for our services just started, I mean, literally just started learning instruments like, you know, a month ago or something, you know, two months ago, and they're playing like, like pros, you know. They obviously have a gift from God. That's a, a gift that God has given them, an ability that God has given them. And, you know, some people had the ability to learn tongues and to learn languages, and they have an aptitude for that or a knack for that. But here's what you need to understand. There was a supernatural giving of tongues, like, for example, in the day of Pentecost, when people who did not have an aptitude for learning languages and never even took the time to learn a language, all of a sudden were able to speak a language that they did not understand. So this one, speaking in tongues could kind of both in, go, go in both directions. It could go into the direction of, of um, you know, someone who just had the aptitude or the ability to learn languages. But there was a supernatural working of tongues in the Bible, not that they were speaking gibberish, they were speaking languages. The supernatural part of it was that they did not learn those languages. You know, in the day of Pentecost and in other parts in the book of Acts, they were speaking tongues just because the Holy Spirit came upon them. But I want you to understand, it's not what the charismatic movement is doing today. It's not the gibberish and the barking like a dog and acting like you're drunk. All right, They were speaking languages that, they, that, that were actual languages that people understood. They just The supernatural part of it, the miraculous part of it, was that they never took the time to learn that. All right? Are you there in 1 Corinthians 14? Look at verse 22. 1 Corinthians 14, 22 says this, Wherefore tongues, that's what we're talking about. And when we get to 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to delve into a lot of detail about the tongues issue. But he says, Wherefore tongues are for a sign. And I, I believe he's talking here about the supernatural, like the day of Pentecost type of tongues. He says those were for a sign. This is why these are called sign gifts or, you know, supernatural gifts. Because they, when, when, when people did these things, when they healed someone, when they performed a miracle, it was a sign that the Holy Spirit was working with them. Go to Acts chapter number 10. You're there. If you go backwards, you're there in 1 Corinthians. You're going to go past Romans into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10. Look at verse 44. Let me give you one example of this. Because we read there in 1 Corinthians 14 that tongues are for a sign. So how were they for a sign? Well, we see an example of that in Acts chapter number 10. And look at verse number 44. Acts chapter 10 and verse 44 says this, While Peter yet spake these words, and I'm not going to take the time to go through this, but this is Peter preaching uh, to Cornelius, who is a Gentile. It's really the first time that he's reaching out to a Gentile, and God had to give him a vision and tell him not to call that which, is, which he has made clean, unclean, and all of that. And now Peter's finished you know, giving them the gospel. It says, While well, Peter yet spake these words, so he's preaching the gospel to them, the Bible says, The Holy Ghost fell on all them, talking about the Gentiles, which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believe. Okay, what, what is that? They of the circumcision which believe. That's just telling us Jewish people who were saved. All right, so they were of the circumcision which believe, were astonished. They were surprised and they were amazed when the Holy Spirit came upon these Gentiles, as many as came with Peter. So these are the Jews that came with Peter who were saved, but they, they, this concept of, you know, 
Going to the Gentiles and preaching the gospel wasn't something that they were necessarily doing at this time, and God is trying to get them to do it. They were uh, uh, astonished, they were surprised, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. So they knew it happened at the day of Pentecost, but now they're seeing it happen to the Gentiles. Look at verse 46. How did they know what was the sign that the Holy Ghost that came upon these people, verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So again, these Gentiles were all of a sudden speaking a language that these Jews understood. You know, before they were probably speaking through an interpreter. Now they're able to talk. You know, they're understanding them. And that was a sign that the Holy Ghost had fell upon them, just like it was a sign that the Holy Ghost had fell upon the, the 120 on the day of Pentecost when they were speaking. And it's funny because between Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 10, it, it just kind of flips. In Acts 2, you've got Jews speaking to Gentiles and speaking in a language that they never learned. And then in Acts 10, you've got Gentiles speaking to Jews in a language that the Gentiles had never heard. It's the same thing. It's just God was showing that, you know, it was for the Gentiles as well. So I just want to give you that as an example of how that was a sign. All of these supernatural gifts or sign gifts. They're called sign gifts because they were a sign of the working of the Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus heal? That they would know that it was, e- it's, you know, it's, it, in their minds, it'd be easy to tell someone, your sins are forgiven thee. But when he healed them, he showed them that he did have the power to also forgive sins. That's what the Bible uh, tells us. Now, uh, go, go back to, let's see, where do I want you? Go, go to... Go to 1 Corinthians 12, but do me a favor, find 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter number 4, uh, 1 Kings chapter number 4, and I don't, I didn't put that in my notes, so let me go there myself. If you find the first and second books in the Old Testament, you got 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, 1 Kings chapter number 4. And uh, just keep your place there, and we're going to look at a verse there in a minute. But let, let, let me, let me uh, say a couple of things. Just a disclaimer about the supernatural gifts. You know, we, here's what you need to understand. We, we believe that the supernatural gifts have been done away with. As far as, that's not something that we're doing today, okay? I hate to break it to you, Benny Hinn's a liar, all right? He's a fraud. And, uh, you know, Kenneth Copeland and all of these people that are healing people, this is not something, you know, that, that, that the Bible says that we are able to do today. And I know we, we've looked at this a lot recently, so I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But let, let me say this, though. We, of course, obviously believe that God can still heal today and that God still performs miracles today. But the way it's done today is through prayer you know, James 5.14 says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. You know, the Bible says that, uh, that as, as New Testament believers... You know, we don't just, you know, put our hands on someone and declare them healed. But the Bible does say that the elders of the church are able to pray and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, you know. And, and here's the thing with that, though, is that we don't always, we have to pray. When we pray, we must pray according to the will of God. 
And it may be God's will or it may not be God's will to heal somebody. The Apostle Paul himself, the Bible says he had a thorn in the flesh and he prayed. The Bible says three different seasons in his life. He prayed that God would take away the thorn in the flesh. And the response from God is, you know, uh, my grace is sufficient for thee. And he, and he said, I'm not going to heal you. You know, he said, my power is made perfect in weakness. So it was God's will for Paul to suffer with that illness. And, you know, if that's God's will, then no matter what we pray, we must always pray according to the will of God. But, you know, we can pray over individuals. And even just recently, and I'm not going to go into details of, of this story because, you know, um, I don't want to give somebody's personal details. But even just recently, like maybe a couple of months ago, someone in our church walked up to me after service and said, you know, Pastor, will you pray for me? Because they were going through some, some illness that they'd been struggling with for a couple of weeks. And I said, well, let's just pray right now. And I, we pray, I prayed for that individual. And I mean, according to their testimony, I'm not Benny Hinn up here, right? But according to testimony, they said from that moment on, they were just completely healed. And, you know, the, and he, he, he was telling me that and saying, like, isn't that amazing, you know? But I was saying my, I was to myself, well, you know, the Bible says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Bible says that this is so, you know, it's great. We should rejoice in it. But, you know, here's the thing. Just because we're conservative Christians, we still believe God heals. We still believe that God performs miracles. We still believe that God is powerful and God can do these things. But here's what you need to understand. The difference is that the gift of healing, where you can just heal at will, that has been done away with. You know, I don't have the power to do that. You don't have the power to do that. Nobody, Benny Hinn doesn't have the power to do that. All right? We can pray, and if it's God's will, and we have faith, you know, then God can still heal. But that's different than like we read about in the book of Acts uh, just on Sunday night, where the apostle Peter is walking, and people are laying people, you know, as he's walking by, just so that his shadow would fall upon them, that they might be healed. He had the gift of healing. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't. Now, what is the reason for that? And we just talked about this on Sunday, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But here's the reason. Mark 16, 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. The Bible tells us that the reason for the signs, right? Because they're called, we refer to them as sign gifts or as uh, supernatural gifts. What was the reason for that? That he might confirm the word. I believe that the reason Paul was able to heal people, Peter was able to heal people, those miracles were done. Why? Because the New Testament was being written and God was, the Lord was working with them and confirming the word with signs following. He was confirming his word that was being written with the supernatural power that he gave these people. But today we don't have that power just at will, at whim, you know, declare people uh, healed. Can God heal today? Absolutely. But we must, you know, you call the elders of the church and you just pray. And, you know, the prayer of faith will save the sick if it's God's will, if that's what God... Because here's what's interesting. Think about this. Paul was healing people you know, and doing all sorts of miracles, but yet he wasn't able to heal himself because it was not God's will. So, you know, I just want you to understand that we're not talking about what the charismatic movement is doing today. But those are the sign gifts or the supernatural gifts. And in my opinion, those have been done away with, all right? And here's what you need to understand, all right? Because people are often confused about this. The miracles in the Bible were very few and far between. It's not like people were just doing miracles, just, you know, we read it that way. Right? And it seems like, you know, uh, but you got to keep, keep in mind there was hundreds of years and sometimes even thousands of years between some of these major miracles. But
But some of these people in the New and the Old Testament did have the power, did have the gift to be able to perform miracles and to do signs, and they were doing it. It was still the will of God, but it was, uh, it was a lot of it at their own will in the sense that God just gave them that ability. And examples of that are Moses, where he's calling down plagues, he's turning his staff into a serpent. You know, God gave him that ability to be able to do that. Elijah, Elisha, you've got, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got Paul, you've got Peter. These are few and far between. It's not just happening, you know, all the time with everybody. So let's, let's kind of transition into the service gifts. And keep your place there in 1 Kings. We're going to come right back to it, uh, or we're going to look at it right now. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's talk about the service or the ministry gifts. I do believe that these are still available for us today. And these are gifts that, people, that the Holy Spirit gives us, gives you within the church to be able to serve uh, within the church and to fulfill the Great Commission. So the first one of the service gifts... So we have the supernatural gifts or the sign gifts, and then we have the service gifts or the ministry gifts. The first one of the service gifts is the word of the gift of the word of wisdom. Notice verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. So the Bible tells us that there are some people that God has given a gift of wisdom. That God has given them a gift to be able to have wisdom. Now let me just give you an Old Testament example of this. And I realize it's an Old Testament example and I'm crossing dispensational lines, but I don't care, right? Because dispensations are a fraud. But go to, go to 1 Kings chapter 4 and um, look at verse number uh, 29. 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 29. I'll give you just probably the most easy example for you to understand. Here's what you need to understand about the service gifts. This is something all of us could have. All of us could have wisdom, but there are some people that God has given an aptitude or a supernatural, uh, not a, a supernatural, that's the wrong word, uh, uh, an ability to maybe just have more wisdom than other people. An example of that is uh, Solomon. First uh, Kings chapter 4, look at verse 29. The Bible says this, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much, and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all the men, uh, uh, than Ethan the Ezrahite, and the Heman, and Kalkol, and Darda, and the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all nations round about. And he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. So I want you to notice the Bible tells us there that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much. He gave him more wisdom. And you say, well, you know, that was Solomon. But wait a minute. How did Solomon get that wisdom? He asked for it. Right? I mean, God said, I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon said, I want wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. You know that God has said to you and I as New Testament believers that he'll give us whatever we ask for? You know, he says, you know, he says, if ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father? He says that he'll give us whatever gifts we ask for. Did you know the Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. The, the Bible actually says that if you pray for wisdom, God will give it to you. 
You know, and I try, every, I, I try every week to just pray and ask God to give me wisdom and, and discernment, you know, and, and to give you the ability to be able to look at situations and understand situations. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is not the accumulation of knowledge. We're going to see the difference here between those here in a second. Wisdom is not just the fact that you know facts or you know knowledge, but wisdom is the ability to take those facts and that knowledge and to be able to apply it in a practical way. The best example and we're not going to take the time to look at it, but what Solomon was when you had the two women. Remember, they came to him and they were fighting about, you know, one of their babies had died and the other one had it. And we won't go through the whole story. But uh, Solomon had the wisdom, the discernment to be able to perceive what they were saying, to perceive what they, you know, he said something to them, they responded, and he's able to take that information and make the right decision. That's what wisdom is. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God has given you know, the gift of wisdom to some people in this church. Now, we should all have wisdom, but there are some people in this church, and you say, how do you know it's in this church? Because he says he gives it to every church, to the body of Christ, which is local believers. We're going to get into that next week. But there are some people in this church that he was given the word of wisdom. Now, here's what's interesting, all right? Keep your place there in 1 Kings. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 8. Let me show you the second service gift or ministry gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another, notice, the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge. So notice, the, word, the gift of the word of wisdom and the gift of the word of knowledge are two different gifts. They're not necessarily the same gift. And you know what I've learned? You know, as I've ministered as a pastor, as I've just lived in, in church, you know, my whole life, I've been in church my, my whole life, literally. Uh, you know, what I've learned is this, that there are some people in our churches that really have a gift of knowledge. I mean, they retain information really well. There are some people, you can ask them a question about anything, you know, and they're just like, it's like they know, you know, the entire Bible, and they can tell you this, and they can tell you that, and, you get, and, they, and they have knowledge. And then there are other people that maybe don't have that gift of knowledge. I'll tell you right now, I do not have the gift of knowledge. If I, have, if I memorize something, I work very hard to memorize it. If I remember something, it's because I wrote it down, it's because I reviewed it, you know, it's because I looked at it. Some people aren't that way. They just read something, they hear something, and they can tell you like, oh yeah, you know, Ezekiel chapter 5 deals, you know, with whatever. And, people, and, and praise the Lord for it. I believe that's a gift that God has given. Sometimes people walk up to me, and they're like, you know, and, you know Brother Stucky's like, in Zephaniah chapter 3, I was wondering, and I'm thinking to myself, like, good night. You know, let me go home and, and read it and study it, and I'll get back to you. You know, some of you ask me, like, oh, in Isaiah chapter 12, you know, I'm thinking to myself, like, I preached through Isaiah. Just go back and listen to what I said, because I'm not sure. I don't remember. You know, I don't have the gift of knowledge. I don't have the ability to retain, you know, information. But here's what's interesting. I've, I've learned that there are people who have a lot of knowledge, and they don't have a lot of wisdom. You can ask them questions about the Bible, and they can tell you, and they can quote it, but then you hear them give advice about finances, and you're just kind of like, what are you doing? Or you hear them give advice, like marriage advice, and it's like, don't, I know, I know they know a lot of Bible, but they don't know what they're talking about, you know? But there are, because it's just, and look, we should all have knowledge, but grow in grace, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. We should all have knowledge, and we should all have wisdom. But there are some people that have been given an aptitude or a knack for wisdom where they can look at a situation and really discern it. There are other people, and those people are probably asking for wisdom. They're praying for wisdom. There are other people that have been given an aptitude for knowledge. Let me give you an example of that. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 16. You're there in 1 Kings, so just head back to 2 Samuel. 
You got 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. 1st Kings, go to 2nd Samuel chapter 16. 2nd Samuel 16, look at verse 23. Notice what the Bible says in 2nd Samuel 16, 23. It's a really interesting verse. It says, 2nd Samuel 16, 23. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracles of God. Now, the oracles of God is referencing is a reference to the word of God or scripture. Here's what the Bible is saying. That Ahithophel had the gift of knowledge. Because you could literally walk up to Ahithophel and it'd be like you were asking the oracles of God. That's what it says. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracles of God, so was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David, notice this, and with Absalom. So according to the Bible, that's the Holy Spirit speaking, the narrator. According to the Bible, Ahithophel, he had the gift of knowledge. I mean, he really understood what the Bible said. And you could ask him a question and he could answer you. But here's what's interesting about Ahithophel. He did not have very good wisdom. Say, how do you know that? Well, here's how I know that. Because the last part of verse 23 says, and with Absalom. Remember, he ended up betraying David and going with Absalom. That was the wrong move. This is the guy, look, this is the guy that can tell you everything, but he's just going to give you bad advice. He's going to take bad, bad advice because there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. And some people, you know, we need that knowledge and we need to be able to just break down the passages and make them clear and understand it. But we also need wisdom. And, and hopefully, you know, you can have both wisdom and knowledge. I mean, you know, that's, that's the goal. And again, all of these things are things that all of us can have, but some people have more wisdom. Some people have more knowledge. You know, these are just gifts that God has given us. Go back to 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, just look at verse 13, uh, chapter 13 real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, look at chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We're going to obviously get to uh, verse 13, uh, chapter 13 in a couple of weeks. But I want you to notice, chapter 13 is a charity chapter, of course. But I want you to notice what it says. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Notice verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy. Notice what he says. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. So I want you to notice that the Bible says here that there's somebody who could have a gift that they understand all mysteries and all knowledge. He says, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. So notice, you could have the gift of knowledge and be nothing if you don't have charity to accompany it. You could have all the answers, all the Bible answers, all the standards, and I got this standard and that standard, and I can tell you what. But if you don't have charity, the Bible says you're nothing. He says, look, I, I can have all understanding. I can understand everything about Daniel's 70th week, and I can break down the book of Revelation, and I can break down the book of Ezekiel, and I can break out this and break out that. But you know what? It's not, just have, it's not enough to just have one of these gifts. We need to strive to just walk in the Spirit. We need to strive to just do right and to love the Lord, to have charity, to live right. So we saw the gift of the word of wisdom. We saw the gift of the word of knowledge. Notice verse 9. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9. To another faith. To another faith. Now look, if you're saved, you got faith, right? That's the way you got saved. But here the Bible is telling us that some people have a gift of strong faith. Some people have a gift of strong faith. Notice again, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Notice what he says. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. The Bible says that there are some people that have the gift of faith. And look, 
some people just, what's the opposite of faith? Fear. Because when the, when the, you know, all throughout the Bible, you have, in the Gospels, you have Jesus telling the disciples, fear not, fear not. And he's always coupling that with this idea that they're faithless, right? You, when you're faithless, you have fear. We're learning that with David and Goliath, right? None of the people had faith to fight Goliath. Why? Because they were full of fear. So here we're told that there are some people that have strong faith. And look, it's true. Even, in, you know, in the last seven years, I remember... I remember the first time we took a vision offering. Not, it was the second time we took a vision offering. But the second time we took a vision offering, we were trying to raise, like, nothing. I mean, in comparison to the amount of money that our church raised, I think we were trying to raise, like, five, we were trying to raise $5,000 to buy the church van, you know. And, uh, and I was preaching about it, and we were talking about it. I remember I, this little elderly lady that was coming to the church at the time, she walked up to me, and she said, like, you will ne- you, this cannot be done. Our church cannot you know, raise this amount of money or whatever. And I said, get thee behind me. Say, no, I didn't say that. I just, you know, here's the thing. She just didn't have a lot of faith, you know? And we raised more than $5,000. You know, we raised like 6000 or whatever. It was, it was when our church was real young. But I remember afterwards she was like, wow, you know, we did it, Pastor. You know, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Some people just don't have faith. I mean, some people, you tell them, like, we're going to do this for God. And, and there are certain people, I've just learned, certain people, I just don't talk to them about anything. You know, I try to talk to them as little as possible because they're just always negative. You know, we're going to do something great for God. And they're always trying to explain to you, like, why the Philippines can't be reached, you know, why you can't go to the Philippines and why you can't start a church up here and why you can't start a church there and why it can't be done in California and why it can't be, you know, some people just don't have faith. But God says that there are some people that have faith to move giants. Those are your Davids who are willing to go fight a Goliath, who are willing to take on a big battle, who are willing to do something great and strong for God. And look, we should all, all, you know, with these gifts, we should all be praying for all of them. We should be praying for wisdom and knowledge. We should be praying for strong faith. But some people have an aptitude for these things because God gives it to them. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, and we already saw that one, to another prophecy. To another prophecy. So another gift is prophecy. Now in the Bible, here's what you need to understand, and I don't have time to develop this because I'm running out of time, but prophecy is basically just preaching. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians 13 again, it's interesting how he, he brings all these up in, in the following chapter. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy, right? He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 13 too. The gift of prophecy is the ability or the aptitude to preach. And here's what you need to understand. Not everybody has that ability. Go to Romans chapter number 12. Now, everybody could work on it. You could work on having the ability to preach, but some people have just been given a gift that they have the ability to be able to stand up in front of people and preach the Word of God. And that's what prophecy is uh, in the Bible. It does have to do with, with telling the future as well, but not every time prophecy, in fact, the vast majority of times that the Bible uses the word prophecy is talking about preaching uh, the Word of God. One example of that, Proverbs 31. It talks about the prophecy that, that a mother was giving to her son when she went through that whole thing about the virtuous woman. So obviously there's no end times prophecy there. Romans uh, 12. Now, here's what's interesting, and maybe you want to write this down. There, there's several passages that deal with spiritual gifts. Um, Ephesians 4 deals with the offices of gifts. We're going to talk about that uh, next week, probably. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 12 deals with gifts. Spiritual gifts. And then so does Romans 12. So that's kind of easy to remember. Romans 12 deals with spiritual gifts. 
1 Corinthians 12 deals with spiritual gifts. Look at Romans 12 and verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. That's next week, right? That's the administration. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Notice what he says, verse 6. And having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Exactly what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. We, we all have different gifts that have been given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. So the Bible says that some people have the gift of prophecy. And by the way, you know, I believe many people have multiple of these gifts. You know, you may have the gift of prophecy and the gift of teaching, or the gift of prophecy and the gift of, of, of uh, faith or whatever. Keep your place in Romans 12. We're going to come back to it. Go, go back to 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 10. Let me give you the fifth of the, of the service gifts. He says, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another. Here's number five of the, of the ministry gifts or the service gifts. Discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits. The Bible says that God has given some people the gift of discerning of spirits. Now, what does that mean, discerning of spirits? Go to 1 John chapter 4, towards the end of the New Testament. I know we're looking at a lot of passages, but there's just a lot to go with this, and we need to try to get it all done, all right? We'll be done, Lord willing, in like eight minutes, all right? But just, just stick with me, and let's look at it quickly. 1 John chapter 4. So you start at Revelation, you head back, you go past Jude, past 3rd, 2nd, and 1 John, into the book of... Um, what I say? Yeah, 1 John. That's where I want you. Past Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Notice what he says. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try. The word try means to test. But try the spirits whether they are of God. Why? Why do we try the spirits? What, what, is, what is the word spirits referring to? Because many false prophets are gone into the world. You see that? The Bible just defined that for us. It is the spirit. Is They have a bad spirit is what he's talking about. We have to try the spirits. We have to test the spirits, whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets are gone into the world. So the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 that to some people he's given the gift of discerning of spirits. Go to Romans chapter 12. Now, what does that mean, the, the gift of discerning of spirits? Here's basically what he's saying. Some people have a nose, right, to be able to catch heresy, to be able to watch something. And I've learned this recently, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to offend anybody or I, I, I can't think of anybody that said this to me, but, you know, even like videos that, that false prophets make a lot of times, they'll make videos and I'll have people say to me like, like well, yeah, man, it sounds good to me, Right. And then you're just kind of like, well, no, I mean, he said this, and he said this, and he said this, and then, you know, he said that. And it's like, oh, wow, I didn't see that. You know, some people just have the ability to be able to pick up on heresy. You know, and I think a lot of it has to do with how long you've been saved, obviously, and how long you grew up in church, and if you've been exposed to a lot of different things. But the Bible says that some people have just the gift of discerning of spirits. They can, you know, uh, see, they, they, they can hear it. Because here's what you need to understand. False prophets often they, they are cloaking or they're hiding their deception. They're, they're, they don't want to just come out, you know, they're using great swelling words. They're trying to use words that people are going to be impressed by and not understand while they're teaching false doctrine. But some people can hear something and say, no, that's not right. And here's why. You know, here's what he said and here's what he's saying. So the Bible says that some people have the gift of discerning uh, spirits, the, the gift to be able to discern spirits. Now look, we should all get better at discerning spirits, Right? 
We should all get better at being able to understand. But some people just have a knack for it, where it just comes naturally to them. They understand it. We should all try to, you know, gain knowledge, but some people have a knack for it. It just comes easily to them to be able to retain knowledge and understand knowledge. We should all work at wisdom, right? But some people have a knack for it. They can look at a situation and say, mm, that's not going to work, you know? You're going you're gonna to mess up if you go down that road. Uh, and it's just something that a gift that God has given them. Go back to Romans 12. Let me, let me just go through some of these, because in Romans 12, he gives us another list. I'm not going to take too much to go through this, but, but look, at, look at Romans 12. Look at verse 7. He's going through the list of the gifts. In Romans 12, 7, he says, or ministry. Ministry. What is that? That's serving. Some people have the gift of serving. And I can attest to this at our church. Go to Exodus. Exodus chapter number, uh, uh, let's see, Exodus chapter 36. Go to Exodus 36 just real quickly. And, you know, I can tell you this. There are some people in our church that just have the gift of ministry. They have the gift of service. Service is something they do, and they do it well. They do it joyfully, and you don't even have to ask them. I mean, like, my wife and I often, you know, we're, we're planning events, or we're doing whatever, and, and it's like, oh, man, who's going to help us with this? And it's like, oh, well, you know, sister so-and-so is going to be there, and it's like, oh, okay, well, she'll t- it'll be taken care of, you know, or brother so-and-so will be there, and it's like, oh, it'll be taken care of, because some people just, they see the need, and they meet the need, you know, they just see that something needs to be done, you know, some people, it's like everyone's working, and they're just like sitting there, <laughs> you know, they don't have the gift of ministry, right, you know, everybody's working, and they're just sitting there talking, still leading, or whatever, but there's some people who just jump into the work, you don't even have to ask them, they just help, they're helpful, they're always wanting to serve, and praise the Lord for those people, you know, I love people that have the gift of ministry, uh, and God gives that to them. Now, look, should we all serve? We should all serve. Should we all try to help? You know, we should all try to help. But there's some people it just comes naturally to them. They just go above and beyond, and it's a gift that God has given them, not only in the serving aspect, but also in the working aspect. Go to Exodus 36. Exodus 36, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just get this all in because I don't want to deal with gifts next week. Um, so, you know, let me get all of this in just so you can get a thorough understanding of it. In Exodus 36, in verse 1, the Bible says this, Then wrought Bezaleel and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man, in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, according to all that the Lord had commanded. And Moses called Bezaleel and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man, in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. Here the Bible tells us that God gave some people a gift of ministry or of work to be able to do all the things that they needed to do. This is talking about the tabernacle, to build the tabernacle, to build all the furniture. Some people have that gift. Now, look, we should all serve, right? But look, there, there are some people, we, we, we remodeled this building and we could not have done it without them, right? They just had a gift for it. They just have an aptitude for it. It's a God-given gift that God gave them. Praise the Lord for it. You know, they use it for God. And look, should we all help? Of course. Should we all join in and try to do the best we can? But sometimes, you know, the people that are gifted in these things, they want those of us that are not gifted out of the way. You know, it's like, you'll help by sitting over there, right? You'll help. Now, we're not talking about cleaning, okay? Anybody can help with cleaning. But, you know, sometimes it's just people have a gift. They have a gift that God has given them, an ability that God has given them. Go to uh, Romans, uh, let's see, Romans chapter 12. Uh, look at verse 7. Romans 12, verse 7. Or ministry, we talked about that, the gift of ministry. That's my favorite one. I mean, I love it, people who just help. Because we could, we, we could use all the help we can get, you know. And people just jump in. You never have to beg them to help. They just they see the need. They meet the need. They're happy to do it. They always have a cheerful attitude. And praise the Lord for that. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. The Bible says that God. That some people have the gift of teaching. And by the way, this is a requirement for being a pastor. The Bible says that you are to be apt to teach. So if you 
try to explain a passage to someone and they're just like, I don't get it, then you, know, then you don't have that aptitude, right? You need to work on that, right? But, but here's an aptitude where people, where you can break down a story, where you can break down a passage, where you can take a passage of scripture and break it down and people are like, whoa, I, would, I never would have seen that. You know, uh, I never, you know, you, you made it easy to understand. God has given that gift to people. And by the way, it's not just men, it's women. Women have been given an aptitude to teach. You know, the Bible says that the elder women should teach the younger women. But of course, all, all of our homeschool moms are teaching their children, and they might have an, you know, have an aptitude for that and a gift to be able to teach their own children. Look at verse 8, uh, Romans 12, verse 8. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. Some people have a gift of exhortation. The word, that means encouragement. They just encourage people. They see someone that needs encouragement, they go to them, you know, and they, and they help them, and they're just, they have that gift, that aptitude about them. Some, I can attest to this, at Verity Baptist Church, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Some people have the gift of giving. And, you know, sometimes you see people, and it's like they just, they, they, it, it brings them joy to give, and they're generous, and they don't do it. They do it anonymously. Nobody even knows, and they just give, and, and they give to the church, and they give to individuals. They see needs, and you know, I believe that is a God-given gift of the Holy Spirit that he's put in them. You know, and uh, here's the thing. Should we all give? Absolutely. We should all give, and we should all be involved in the giving, but you know, some people just have a gift of, of giving. You know, some of you think you have the gift of giving, but you're broke, and yeah, it's not a gift, okay? You need to work on your finances, but, you know, we should all have the gift of giving, but it, it, let me say this, though. Here's what I honestly believe, because people often think like, oh, well, if I had more money, I'd give. You know what I think? I think the people who give, God give, blesses them with money, because he, because, you know, when you're faithful with that, which is least, you'll be faithful with, with more, you know, and God knows that they're not going to just, you know, keep it all for themselves, and, he, and they have a joy of giving, a cheerfulness of giving, and the Bible says here that he's given the gift of giving uh, to some people uh, to be able to do that. So we see these gifts, and we see uh, these abilities. Look at verse 8. Oh, he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Here's another one, uh, number 10. He that ruleth with diligence. The word ruleth there is talking about leading. There's a gift of leadership. God has given the gift of leadership to some people. Some people are not leaders. They're, they're not good leaders. You know, they just don't lead well. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. Should we all be working on our leadership? Absolutely. Men and women, we should all be working on, on our leadership. But some people have just been given an aptitude to lead, to rule, to administer. They, it, it comes naturally to them to organize things and make them flow well, you know, and, and, and have that gift to be able to administer things and get things going. The Bible says that God, that's a gift that he's given to some. Should we all be working on that? Absolutely. But some people, God has given that gift as a spiritual gift. Let me show you the last one, um, verse 8 again. And he that exhort, or just look at the last part of the verse. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. The Bible, now, look, we should all have mercy. But some people have been given a gift of mercy, where they're just very merciful with people. And they, they can come alongside and, and, and be very merciful with those that maybe have done wrong or done them wrong. And they have an ability. That was like Barat, uh, not Barat, Barnabas. Remember Barnabas, where he went to Paul and brought him in um, when nobody else wanted Paul, and he went to John Mark and brought him in. They call him the son of consolation. I believe that he had a gift of mercy, you know, and, and other people have a gift of exhortation, and other people have a gift of giving and things like that. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. We'll finish up. 1 Corinthians 12. So, so we've seen the gifts, right? You've got the supernatural sign gifts, healing, you know, uh, the, the speaking with tongues, interpretation of tongues. That's if it's done miraculously, uh, where you didn't learn, you know, it's not because you 
went through Duolingo, all right? It's just because you learned the language you never, you never even tried, and God miraculously did it for you. Um, you know, that's the healing, that's the miracles. Then we saw the 11, um, you know, ministry gifts or serving gifts. That's the gift of mercy, the gift of leadership, the gift of giving, the gift of exhortation, the gift of serving, the gift of discerning spirits, the gift of uh, prophecy, preaching, uh, strong faith, the, uh, the gift of knowledge, the gift of, of wisdom. Those are all gifts that God has given us. Now, now, that he's given every, every one. Now, notice 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. Let me just show you a couple of things and we'll, we'll finish up. Next week, we're going to get into um, the body of Christ part of that, of the passage. But look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit, notice this, is given. See that word? Is given. To every man to profit with all. Look at verse 8. For to one is given. You see those words? Is given by the Spirit, the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge. Now, he's not, he doesn't say it, but he's saying to another is given, is what he means, the word of knowledge by the same spirit. To another is given. And he goes down the line. He's saying this is something that is given. Look at verse 11. But all these worketh that one and self-same spirit. Notice, dividing to every man severally as he will. So the first thing you need to understand about the gifts, okay, is that if you have a gift, don't get all proud and puffed up because it was given to you. That's why it's called a gift. So don't get all proud about, man, I'm so knowledgeable. I just know everything about the Bible. First of all, if you're saying that, you probably don't know anything about the Bible. Because people who know the Bible realize that you'll never really know the Bible. But you know, if you have some aptitude, some ability, if God has given you a gift, don't get all pride-filled about it because it was given to you. It's a gift that God gave you. Why? And here's the thing, you know, so you need to identify your gift. Identify your gift. You know, there are some things on that list that I can look at and say, I definitely do not have that gift, you know? So you know what I try to do? Is I try to find um, people and surround myself with people that have the gifts that I don't have, you know? And there are some gifts that, that I believe I do have, you know? I, I honestly, I, as far as organization is concerned, some people just hate organizing and making things. I enjoy it. I like things to be structured and run well. I believe that's a gift that God has given me, you know? Math, I'm not very good at. So, you know, Brother Stucky, right? He got the gift of, of math, you know? And Brother Oliver knows all the great Mexican restaurants. So <laughs> he has the gift of that. No, I'm just kidding. You know, but, you know, you just surround yourself. I'm kidding. You surround yourself with people who maybe, you know, have different strengths than your own, you know, but you should identify your own strengths in that, in that gift. And, here's, and, don't, and you say, oh, I don't have any, any gift. No, notice what he says, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. God has given you at least one of those gifts, but probably multiple of those gifts that you could identify. Look at verse 11. But all these worketh that one and self-same spirit, dividing, notice, to every man severally as he will. God has given every man a gift. He's given you a gift. So here's a question. Any questions, we'll be done. What is your spiritual gift? What is your spiritual gift? You say, I don't have a gift. Okay, if you don't have a gift, then you're not saved. Because he's given everyone a gift... When you got saved, he gave you the Holy Spirit, and he gave you a spiritual gift. All right? So identify your spiritual gift. Here's why some of you don't want to identify your spiritual gift. You know why? Because you're lazy. Because if you identify your gift, then you're going to have to do something with it. And you don't want to. But here's the question. What is your spiritual gift? Then here's the other question. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Because people have this idea. They think, oh, well, I, I come to church. That's enough. No, that's not enough. Coming to church is not enough. Coming to church is like being part of a sports team and all you do is go to the practice. 
You never show up to a game. You just go to the practices. You're at every practice, but okay, well, now let's use that gift. You know, you come to church, and we're teaching you, we're explaining to you, we're helping you grow, helping you understand, identifying your gifts. Now let's use it. Now let's use it. So here's what you should do. Identify your gift, and then find a way to serve in that capacity. Identify your gift, and find your way to serve in, in that area. And look, if you come to me and say, Pastor, I, ha- I have the gift of whatever, you know, I'll, I'll try to help you find, find, you know, an area. Now, if you say, I have the gift of pastoring, and I'm going to be like, well, there's the door. <laughs> you know? I'm going on the street to build a church, do something for God. Amen. Uh, but, you know, uh, find your gifts and then, you know, identify your gifts and then serve God. Serve God with your gifts. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these passages in Scripture. We can learn from, we can study them, we can understand them. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help all of us to be able to identify our spiritual gifts and, and uh, the abilities that you have given us. And Lord, help us to do something with it. Help us not to waste them. You have invested into us certain gifts. Help us to use them to profit with all, to profit everyone else, to serve everyone else with it. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a church of serving Christians that are just working together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.